Bill is here to like, mm-hmm. like slow down the sound, slow down the music, etc. <laughs> Make sure that we're all good, and right. uh, instead we just kind of gut out. So good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, Matt Kim, and a special guest today with us, Brendan Dilly. What's up, Matt? I'm very excited to be here, dude. Appreciate you having me in studio. And uh, I swear the music eventually fades away. There you go. <laughs> Brendan Dilly. If you don't know the Dilly meme team, it is phenomenal. Your show is so much fun. Thank you. I, I watched the full episode today on, on Rumble, and you are pretty much on every platform now. Yeah. Because it is very difficult for the type of content that you do to stay in one spot. Yeah, it's been really difficult, man. I was actually across three other platforms. They took me out. Twitch deleted me in November. Hmm. Um, I had never had a problem with Twitch. And they uh, abruptly, I got a, an email and said, you, your content doesn't meet our, you know, uh, what was it, guide, like community guidelines? Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, that's weird. I've been there for three years, never had a problem. And then Facebook took me out, hmm. which I actually was shocked that I had made it that long. Um and they didn't get me for community guidelines. They got me for copyright for memes. Really? Yeah. Copyrighted memes and, and repeated warnings. And the challenge with them, too, is that the the uh, copyright that they were referencing, a lot of it was erroneous. Like, we would have original content that was being sung by a musician from my show with original beats, everything. And they still would hit you with copyright. And you'd appeal. They de- declined. Of course. So they were just looking for a reason. But they got me uh, about a year ago. Um, and then YouTube is still problematic. I have to delete every episode as soon as I'm done broadcasting live mm. um, because without fail, if I leave it up, it will get, you know, I'll get a warning or whatever, you know, strike, co- well, not a copyright, but they call it, you know, YouTube strike. Yeah. And uh, and then you can't upload. And it's just, it's ridiculous. It's whack-a-mole. So I, I got, I've had strikes on YouTube. And when you get your strike, they give you the opportunity to take a test yeah. or a training. Yeah. Right. They say if you take this training or tra- take this learning, then we will remove your strike. I didn't get that option. Well, I got the option. I took it, <laughs> and it takes you nowhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't get an option. I don't even know what you're. T- I'm like, wait, I've heard of it. I've never yeah. known any- someone who actually got that option though. Yeah, it doesn't it, give me that. As soon as I open up my YouTube Studio, there's a pop up, and it says, and it, it's been there for six months. I get the pop up every single day, and it says, take this test or take this training. And we'll remove your strike. And every once in a while, I'll be like, maybe finally it works. Right. And I'll click it. Because I'm so curious to see what's inside of this training. Right. Like, what is inside a YouTube re-education camp? (laughs) (laughs) I need to know. If someone's out there and has access to this re-education camp, please send it. Because I would love to see it. Right. It goes nowhere. It just takes me in a circle. It takes me to another link, which goes to nowhere, which brings me back to the original link. Right. Yeah. Are these supposed to be on? I can't hear anything. Oh, really? Yeah, there's no audio coming out of it. I just was like, I'm like, dude, it's so muffled because I've got earplugs in. I was going to ask you. You know what? Oh, that would help. I didn't even look, dude. I was like. No, it's not on you. Peter who comes in here, he, um, he, he brings his own headphones. Ah. So he unplugs it. Thanks, Peter. He didn't, he didn't unplug it. Gotcha. He didn't plug it back in. <laughs> so welcome to the pod. Brendan Dilly. Um, again, you're on YouTube, on Rumble. You have your own site. You do your own yeah. hosting as well. You are basically a one-man show with an army of people that yeah. help you. Yeah. How did that even happen? Because I understand the one-man show. How did you build your own army? 
So if we go back to 2019, um, we went from the corner of my bedroom broadcasting on a cell phone, and we brought in uh, Wirecast software. And my producer actually is a former ESPN producer. Wow. Uh, she was with Disney for 30 years. Okay. Yeah, so we're talking like live, and she was in the TV truck okay. doing uh, college football. That was her, her gig, okay? So I was dealing with somebody at the you know top of the food chain. She had done, I think, four Olympics, and she moonlighted as a producer with me because she loved the show. She loved uh, what I was about. And so she trained me in production on Wirecast. And once I was able to get to Wirecast and learn that, that software while hosting myself, and, and that's what I do now, I produce and, and host at the same time, um, it opened up a whole different world, right? And I had always been had a close relationship with a lot of the Anon memers uh, on the internet, just mm -hmm. in general. And it started out really early. I used to play a lot of soul memes uh, on the show, uh, Dre Fanzer, um, and a lot of other people that, you know, Magical Trevor, uh, a lot of Phantom Shadow. And so there was a lot of these memers that were just completely irreverent, and they were kind of like me with the humor and stuff. And I started playing them on the show, and they weren't necessarily a part of the show. Uh, we didn't have a community yet. I would just grab their clips, and they always got a kick out of it because they were like, oh, I got featured on this show. And no one else was doing memes on their show yet. This is 20, early 2019. So then after January 6th, um, and right before everybody gets nuked off the internet, mm. uh, I created this meme room, and I told uh, my good friend Miguel California, who was still on Twitter at the time, I had got nuked five months before that, and they completely took me out. So I got nuked in August of 2020 before the election. But I gave him a link, and I said, you tell any memer that gets deleted, if they still want to create and have a place to have their stuff featured, come in this room. Initially, it was just sort of like, you know, uh, it was just a bug out location because I could see what was coming and you have all these brilliant people who are going to have nowhere to post it. Mm. And so that's what happened. And initially the room was 45 people. Um, it was a lot bigger. I didn't know a lot of them on a personal level. And, uh, it was just sanctuary where I was like, look, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to give you your followers back, but if you make content and you want me to play it on my show, I've got 30,000 people that'll watch it every day. And they were, they just thought it was great. So, so we started the meme room, and and in 2021, you know, once uh, once Joe Biden is sworn in, you know, I went on the next day with my audience, and I'm like, you know, I said it's like that scene out of Taken, <laughs> like this is gonna suck, and uh, I'm not gonna, you know, blow smoke. You're stuck with this dude until 2025. Um, I had a very good contact with uh, the Trump family at that time. Who told me what the you know essentially what the, he's running again twenty twenty four and that they were already having a a power meeting about that the weekend after he left the the White House mm. and so I went on my broadcast and I just told everybody you know this is going to suck but we're going to get through it together and uh, we're going to hold down the fort and so what was interesting was in all of twenty one we spent that entire year just all culture driven. And then also cultivating the the friendships in the meme room. And some people left and, you know, they didn't fit with what we were doing. And that was really what 21 and 22 was about, um, was just kind of making sure we were all pulling in the same direction. We're all understanding. And, and I kind of – I wanted a higher level of not just content because content, you can get really great content. I wanted good people mm. that I could trust and I could say, you know, I, I know who these people are. I know what they're going to represent. They're going to represent me out in the, you know, the public well too. And uh, it took time 
but you know, we kept doing that, and now we've got a fantastic team. We've had a great team. We've added two people this year. You know, the, the we don't really add people very often anymore. Um, when we do, we typically go out and recruit. Like we know who we're targeting. Cause I get a lot of requests. They're like, "I want to join the team." And like it doesn't work that way, bro. Like <laughs> tryouts are closed. Um, and all of them really, you know, that's how it started, Matt. But really, it was uh, I gave them a place to express themselves. And they liked the show. They liked the format. And, uh, you know, they would they would add to it. The show really is a culmination of the audience's idea of what a cool mm. show would look like. So that's why it kind of looks and feels the way it does, because I've got this team of people who are really started out as fans. And they watch it every day. They're like, hey, I think I could do this new intro. Or I think I could do this <laughs> outro. Or, hey, I got this really funny bit for when you're talking about, you know, we have this ridiculous jingle, you know, that sings the FBI is gay whenever I talk about the FBI. So like you play the FBI is gay song, right? And it's like over the top. Um, and we do some other things like that. And, and guys and, and gals that are on the team just jumped in and were like, hey, I want to add this. Can I do this? Can you think you can use it? And some stuff you use it once and it's fun and you throw it away. And other stuff you go, oh, my God, this is going to stick. And it, it'll be on the show for could be years. So it's kind of how it started. I mean, I think it's amazing that you're able to build a community around what you do, uh, that people are volunteering their time to help, and that shows how passionate they are about what they want and how they feel and believe about you. So I think that's amazing. I did not know memers was a word. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a real word? I don't did know. You just make that up. <laughs> it's what we call it. I mean, it's what they are. They're, they're, you know, they're memers. They're the memers, the meme lords. Uh, you know, the the community aspect of it too, man, was like. I think a lot of the, a lot of the most talented people on the internet start off as they're almost entirely anon mm. because they're afraid of what comes with that. And um, you know, we went through this has been education. And I've been in the public eye since 2013 since I released my self-help book. Mm. So, we've had a lot of experience just being in public in general and what that looks like and especially given the content and the fact that I have no filter, I I've already kind of been through the ringer. And so, I was able to kind of like help a lot of them in regards to like how to handle that and to not fear, you know, if you do end up being a public persona, it's okay. Just yeah. let your let your artwork speak for you is safer because then it's within the confines of a meme versus posting your opinions, which can be a lot more, you know, difficult to explain if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily want to be in the public space. So a lot of them rely on the art form you I mean, know, to express. What does that say about where we are in society that people are so scared to put their face, their ideas? Because even on Twitter, some of these bigger, biggest accounts out there are all anonymous accounts. They're all faceless accounts. People are so worried about what the repercussions would be if they were to attach their actual being with their ideas. And I don't understand why that's even a thing, like why we're so scared to do it. And I think when people see me and they're like, what the hell? Like, this guy's saying stuff I don't think we're allowed to say. Right. And I'm like, I think that's the psyop where they make you feel like you can't say what you, you right. can't say. But the reality is you can. Yeah. What do you think? Where do you, where are we that people are hiding away? Um, I think that they were, were, were shooting for communism, man. Mm -hmm. I think they were the, the, the ultimate blow, which is, is exactly what you said. It's a psyop because all you have to do is make a few examples out of a few people mm. and you hammer a few people who are really rich. And then you look at people who are like, maybe not that successful. And they're like, I can't, I couldn't afford to take that hit. And, and it worked. I think they scared a lot of people. And 
the interesting thing is because when you when they go to cancel you, if you can withstand that cancellation, you get way stronger. Yeah. And the public recognizes you're way stronger. And then they they'll come back and they'll do it again. And uh and you you know, and it's also it's it's a challenge too. And I and I have a lot of um empathy for people who rely on a stream of income that is maybe like a corporate job or something. I can't imagine. You know, I've been self-employed for a long, long time. Yeah, me too. And so, you know, you can't cancel me. I'm really good at what I do. So, you know, you can you can try and drag me through the mud and you maybe will stop new people from watching me, but that's okay. They're still going to be curious, but I can't get terminated. Like I'm not going to come into work and they're going to say, Hey, you know, we saw what you said on the internet. You're fired. I can't imagine what that might be like, but I think that's what they did. I think it targeted people with jobs and and, uh, they, and then also it was really weird, man. It was like, it was like the whole country collectively lost their sense of humor. Yeah. So like, they'll quote me like on one hand, they'll go, MAGA life coach, Brendan Dilly, and they'll call me something. It depends on the article, right? So if they need me to, if I said something really offensive and really funny, I'm no longer a comedian or an entertainer. Uh-huh. Entertainer. Then I'm a, a journalist, and they'll call me a journalist. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, am I wearing a tie? Like, I got a T-shirt on, bro. Like, Where's your journalistic integrity? Yeah, they go, oh, this uh, Republican journalist. And I'm like, what? And it just depends on how they're hitting me and what I said, whether or not they're going to be able to uh, – you know, how, how they frame that message. But when you're really free and, and, and really free, unfortunately, it, it, you, there's no way around it means financially not leveraged by mm-hmm. their mechanisms. So when you're truly free, where you're like, I'm diversified across many different platforms, I'm financially diversified in and, and like, you know, for anybody making a podcast out there, the number one way to succeed and insulate yourself from cancellation is make other people money. Mm. When you make other people money, you can't get canceled because now you're not you're not getting canceled. Your 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 sponsors aren't running from you. Yeah. Like, don't this dude literally provides my livelihood. Yeah, and so that's really how you do it. You, we we do something on my show called MAGA Commerce, and all it is is a parallel economy. Mm. Just us basically saying like, I don't need your big sponsors. I'm good. I'm going to take small businesses, many of which started out with zero, and we're going to take them to a whole different level. And then you're it's impossible to cancel because. They didn't. They weren't built through your traditional means. They weren't built through traditional media or traditional stores. And uh, what you find is, as you go through that, dude, you get more free. And the more free you get, the more you stand out. So, like when what you're just saying, you're saying things. They go, "You're not allowed to say that." You're like, "But I did." <laughs> and I showed up to work the next day, and I was still able to say more of it. Yeah. And there's not really, you know, there isn't any blowback. I think we're seeing the end, honestly, of cancel culture. I think it's it's kind of. Run its I mean, course. I, I think the scariest part of it is that people are starting to self-censor. And that, I think, is, it's one thing if there is an establishment actively trying to censor you. From their perspective, I don't agree with it, but from their perspective, I get why they do it. Mm-hmm. Right? It makes sense. If you're trying to keep a populace under control, you want to control what they say. Mm-hmm. I understand that if I was playing God, I may do the same. But for us as the people, as the ants of society, to self-censor ourselves, that's so weird. Yeah. You know? It's like, what if I heard that someone else, I heard Brendan Dilly got canceled and got kicked off of Twitch, so I can't say it either because I don't want to get kicked off of Twitch. They don't even have to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't have to censor you. They don't have to actively censor you anymore. We do it ourselves. And I think by us, people like us going out there and saying pretty much whatever the fuck we want to say, it encourages other people and shows them that it's possible to be done. Right. 
Well, and and, and exactly right is uh, that that courage and that boldness is in, is is uh, it's infectious, man. People yeah. want that. The other thing is you take them back to like school, bro. Yeah. Cause, cause like I'll do this online, you know, you got somebody, you, you know where their limit is. So they go to insult you and they'll say some shit. That's like ridiculous. Like you're a fucking pussy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like, dude, I'm a junior in high school again. And maybe he was a jock. He's like, I'm no fucking pussy right yeah, now. Yeah. And I, I can deal with that. I'm like, dude, stop it. Don't let everybody pull your man card. Yeah. Like this is, re- you're embarrassing, you know? <laughs> and that's how these people behave is they've, they've essentially allowed themselves to be shamed into being really weak and timid, mm. but it doesn't take much to stir them up. You just fucking piss them off. That's what I've found. You piss them off a little bit, you prod them, and all of a sudden they start coming out, and you're like, you know what? We might not agree, but, dude, at least you're fighting back. Yeah. You know, at least you're standing on something instead of just kind of being in the corner like a little bitch. Like, oh, I got to – let me think of a different way to say this insult so that I don't get in trouble by the social media companies. Like, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so I tend to be a little bit like – I'll be a little adversarial or controversial mm. with certain people – um, you like to poke it a little bit. Yeah, I want to see what people are about. Yeah. Because you never know. Like, you don't know what people are until you test them a little bit. You push on them. And sometimes they're like, oh, you're a dick. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But I'm I'm not doing it for the reason you think. I just want to see what you're about. And I've got to know some really incredible people mm. in, in the in the kind of the Trump movement. Um, You know, and, and that's still, I still do it with everybody. I push on them and then I want to see what they're about. And then when they come back, it, what it does, it takes your respect to another level, though. You're okay. I can rock with this person. They're like, you know, battle tested. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather spend my time with people that are willing to tell you the truth. That are trying to be honest. They're trying that don't hold back. Mm-hmm. I think it's just easier to deal with in the long run. People are so scared of dealing with the adversary, and initially that they shy away from all of it. And I don't think that's the right way to do it. I think we are so handled with kid gloves in this world now. Yeah, that. You got to fall a little bit. So, it's not going to kill you. Matt, we got to talk <laughs> about this thing because a perfect example is my friend Laura Loomer this weekend. Mm. I'm watching these videos of the DeSantis team running away from a five foot two journalist that's 115 <laughs> pounds and really one of the nicest people running away because they don't want to be asked questions. Yeah. Like, and, and look, and the thing that made it weird, man, these weren't even public figures. These are people who have the name communications director yeah. in their their titles yeah and you're like i don't want to communicate and it's like you're the communications director this is quite literally your only job is communicating to this journalist who's going to ask you hard questions intelligent responses and it's weird that they run away it, it's strange and it's 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 like the embodiment of what you're describing mm. though where people go it's a contra- confrontation i'm not ready for that it's probably gonna be adversarial and i'm not ready for that and I don't want to be asked tough questions. So I'm going to duck into this men's bathroom and hide from this little girl. And it's. <laughs> well, can, can I defend the runaway um, communications directors for a quick second? Please. <laughs> if Laura Loomer was chasing me down, demanding to ask questions, I may run too. Would you run too? <laughs> <laughs> right? She's not the easiest to deal with. You know, you're going to go into a battle. And sometimes maybe. You just don't want to deal with it. Do you, do you want to really know how you how you win against a Laura Loomer? And she'd appreciate me saying this. Just don't lie. Yeah. If you're direct with Laura and you tell the truth, even if she's wrong, she's one. And it's funny. She's one of the quickest people to acknowledge. Oh, I got this wrong. Yeah. And she just moves forward. And I'm kind of the same way. I'm like, okay, I got that wrong. The 99 other things I got right, but this one I got wrong, and that's okay. And that's how she is. The only way to deal with her is directly head on. What's your question? Okay, here's my and then. You know, she's excitable. You got to tell her, Laura, I'm going to answer your question. Let me talk. 
and she'll let you. She she gets it. But everybody who runs are people who they know they don't have a good answer. Because if you give her a thread, she will pull the whole ball of yarn. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're like, I thought, and they're like, damn it, I don't think I have a job anymore. No, yeah, you're I done. totally messed this up. 100%. I get her. I kind of understand that side. A little bit. A little, a little bit. A little bit. I'm just trying to show a little bit of empathy to them. Man up, do the right thing, answer the question. But I understand why they run away. Well, at minimum, for your own self-respect. The thing is, if it was an, if it's just an audio, it's one thing. They're you, running communications for DeSantis. They threw the, bro, the, respect, the, self-respect the, out the window a long time touche, ago. Touche. That's, that's already gone. That went out with the cowboy boots. Dude, but I mean, it's, there's video. Like, I don't know how you could be a grown man yeah. running from a five foot three Jewish girl yeah. and, like, go home and kiss your wife and be like, I had a good day. Laura Loomer scared me into a bathroom. Like, that's... I don't even know, dude. I couldn't do it. And so that's what I mean is is I, I think the internet made a lot of people um it, it brought out a lot of a lot of weird people. And, and you know it's funny, Matt, because we were talking before you you started, but like you're an entrepreneur, I'm an mm. entrepreneur, which means success in in in, in work outside of the internet, right? Mm. Which there's it's a totally different field, but really it's not that different. If you yeah. take those principles outside of it and apply it within the internet, I actually think you end up with a better business. Um, when it, it kind of keeps you grounded, people who are solely internet people, um, I think get really, really detached from how we actually interact with each other and how to treat people and how business is conducted. And that's what it kind of looks like. Some of these campaigns are being run by people who are really lazy and just yeah, sit on their, they their don't really understand what's going on They don't, And especially if you're running for maybe the highest office, if you're running for president, I feel like you should have at least have shown some sort of success in your life, leading large groups of people, leading large teams of people. And that's my biggest knock on a Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. He has never shown success in anything in his life. He was not a successful senator. He was not a successful vice president. He has no. He has never shown that he has the aptitude to lead a big group of people. And right. now he's president. And look at the results. It's self-evident. Yeah. And, and you have that within a lot of our politicians. Yes. And, and I think that's what a, one of the hardest things that Americans are waking up to is the reality that these aren't talented people. Mm. Um, these are people that were, were many of which were selected simply because they were willing to say the thing and, and to not have a problem with saying the thing. The conscience goes out the window. Um, and, and you kind of watch their behavior and how they're how they're managed and. And, uh, you know, like a Joe Biden, good example, man, you, you get it in a, in the thing that's weird is leveraging power is not a business mm -mm. and that's not a real tangible, that's fraud, right? Like that's crime. That's not, you're not building something where it's adding value to the, to the, your community or the world. Uh, you're not doing something that's, that's generating wealth inside of our GDP and your economy. You're just simply withdrawing constantly based on you know, your leverage over other people or abroad or you're selling out your fellow countrymen or whatever on trade deals or so on and so, so forth, like uh, Joe did, the Clintons did it. Um, and then the difference when you put somebody like a Donald Trump in and you look and go, he knows how to run giant organizations, yeah. uh, top to bottom. He's had some failures in business, which is great. Yes. And he's had a tremendous amount of success. And you look at what the United States of America is, you know, and, and you go, it's a it's essentially it's a business. Yeah. And uh, when we run it that way and it's run by somebody who understands those dynamics, the, the results are amazing. 
Yeah, people will say, oh, don't you know that Trump had a bankruptcy in this business, this business? I'm like, that's how business works. If you, I've never met a successful businessman that has never failed in anything in business. You have to fail in order to learn, and it, that's the best way to learn, the quickest way to learn, right. and you understand the pitfalls and you do better the next time. That is what business is. 100%. And then you got guys like Joe Biden who've never had to do that, have been just nothing but failures. And all of a sudden, we expect him to do a good job. Again, it's showing in the economy now, which is horrible. I hate when he tweets out. I, I apologize. He doesn't tweet out. When yes. his team <laughs> tweets out, Biden, this is proof Bidenomics is working. And they'll show some sort of obscure stat. Unemployment numbers or GDP or throw on these numbers that really don't have any actual relevance to us. Mm-hmm. The real relevance is... Are you spending more at the grocery store or are you not? Is it more expensive to loan money or is it not? Right. How many times are you getting taxed? And they say, we're not going to tax more, but yet I have less money. The government has more money. They're constantly borrowing more money. How are you going to say it's good? Right. It doesn't make any sense. Well, <laughs> Joe, Joe and the Democrats, and, and this is something that a lot of people haven't been paying attention what the only reason you're not in a far worse position, the economy that Donald Trump built was not a boom bust economy. It was foundationally strong. Mm. And so Joe has had a really hard time eroding what Trump built because it was just fundamentally a strong, um, healthy economy. It wasn't predicated just on cheap credit. It wasn't uh, predicated on easy loans given away. Um, it was based around production mm. right energy real estate uh manufacturing that that's real e- economics and a lot of these guys get in and they just play with the numbers they move things around they cook the books um you know they they uh they start you know calculating your your employment numbers a little differently right you're like, oh, uh, well, this guy's doing great. He's he's very busy. He's got four jobs. It's like he has four <laughs> jobs. He's killing himself because groceries have went up like you know 150 yeah. percent or whatever. It's crazy. So they're having a hard time breaking the thing that Trump built. Um, they've they've done a pretty good job. They screwed it up with the help of the Fed. Um, they printed way too much money. Mm. I don't think people even fully understand i think a lot of audience yours probably does because i know you explain you go through these things quite a bit too but a lot of people don't realize you know um the price of things aren't going up it's your value of your money is going down Mm. and they they printed so much money and and what they don't a lot of people don't realize is that money when it's first printed is it's most valuable in that first six months to a year which is why it's dispersed at the top of the uh, pyramid (laughs) right so in our ponzi scheme we call an economy in america uh, you know, they take that money and it's massively uh, uh, valuable at that point. And the reason 2021 looked the way it did was because they were signing all those bills for spending. And that money didn't hit the economy until the middle of 22. And that's when the Fed responded and went, oh, my, oh, my God, we've got mm. a problem. Right. Um, but even still, what they're having a hard time doing, even Joe can't slow down. He can't kill production. The American worker, everywhere you go in this country, is busy as shit still. All over this country. You know, I remember a real recession, 2008, when the buildings were boarded up and businesses were gone. And you couldn't, there was nothing happening. 
Um, when we set numbers aside and we just drive around, when we look at production and you drive around in your communities, people are busy. They have places to go. They have jobs. We have skyscrapers in Atlanta going up every day. I was out in Miami the summer, big giant buildings going up. Um, I can't speak to every part of the country, but a lot of major metropolitans, there's plenty of work. There's plenty, but that's not the issue. The issue isn't having work and killing yourself. The issue is the the economics and the the inflation and the management of our money supply and the spending and how it's being spent is so bad that you're exerting the same amount of energy or maybe more and you're getting 20, 30% less back in your lifestyle is reflecting it. And that's where a lot of people are really hurting, especially the middle class, man. You're getting yeah. just demolished if you're, if you're, you know, depending on your gas prices in California or your food prices, um, you might still be pulling down, you know, six figures or something, but when those two things go up, you know, 100, 150%, 200%, uh, there goes ballet for the kids. There goes extracurriculars. There goes dinners out with your wife. And now your quality of life is really diminished. And I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing right now. Do you think right now it's Trump and it's Biden? That's the idea that people have going in. I personally don't think Biden is going to make it to the next election. I feel like it's definitely going to be, if I had, if I had to bet, I would think that it would be Michelle Obama at number one spot and Gavin Newsom at the number two spot. I think that's going to be the Democratic ticket. It's a good theory. See, I, whenever I look at politics, I look at um, I look at human beings first. Mm. I don't know if you know this. Michelle Obama is super lazy. Mm. And I'm not saying that to be a smart ass. She's legitimately lazy as shit. So could she end up being the nominee? Maybe. I don't know if she has the ambition necessary to go in and campaign for a year and take all of those questions. You know, it's it's a hard life. You're going to walk away from an $18 million house on the beach. That's what they got to go reenter public service. And you and your husband's name is basically dog shit now. How long they last on Netflix? They had a podcast and a mm. show, dude. I th- I don't know. They didn't last six months. Yeah. Nobody gave a shit. So my my only counter argument is even a political one. I just don't think Michelle Obama has the ambition to ever be president. But we also know that in order to be the Democratic nominee and potentially win the presidency, you actually don't even have to campaign. Well, not anymore. That's a good point. It's, it's a great <laughs> counterpoint. That's very true. I I just I, Gavin Newsom. I agree with you. Yeah, I think he's definitely going for number two. I I say Michelle Obama because. I don't think they can. I don't think Joe goes another term. I just don't see it. I think what they're going to say to him is, "Hey, there's a lot of scandals going on. Um, you're kind of unpopular. Mm. If you were to gracefully walk away, blame your health, say you want to spend more time with your family, we'll give you a nice monument, and we'll remember you in history as a good guy." It's a nice sales pitch. Or you could attempt to run for president again. We're going to let. The indictments start coming. Mm-hmm. Maybe look into your family history because we've been covering for you for this long. Right. And you can tarnish your legacy forever. Which one do you want? I think he would choose, I'll walk away. So Joe's not pulling the strings over there. Oh, definitely not. So the question you actually have to pose is to Jill. Mm. And Jill ain't giving up the White House for mm. anybody. She's going down with the ship. I can tell you a little inside baseball. The campaign... Trump's campaign isn't worried about Michelle Obama. Mm. Gavin Newsom's a problem. Yes. 
that's the one who's actually legitimately angling to get onto the ticket for the Democrats. And he is phenomenal at what he does. Yes. Can we give him credit and say he may be the best politician in America right now? He is. He can lie better than anybody I've, yes. I've seen in politics in a really. He is. He is a very white Obama. Yes. He's the horrible person. Phenomenal. At his he job. can orate. He can argue. Um, and what he does is a, is a, is a fairly. It's a it's a talent. It can be trained, but he has the ability to t- give you partial truths mm. to to get you to start to put your defenses down. And then to build in his lies underneath the truth. Mm-hmm. It's very slick. That's some yeah. CIA shit. Because yeah. he does it in a way that, like, if you're just a normal person, you're catching the truths and you go, oh, hey, I know that. That is true. Oh, my. That's a really good point. And then you're missing the fact he's slipping in and yeah. he's changing how you feel about something or think about something with total bullshit. Um, yeah, he he is a, a a trickster, man. He is a, he is a, he is an, a candidate that's a problem for anybody other than Trump. Yes. Trump will mop the floor with Gavin Newsom. Because Gavin has charisma, but Gavin's an actual idiot. Mm. When it, when you get past the surface level, like we talked about earlier, Gavin doesn't build organizations. Gavin doesn't run actual businesses. What he's done is essentially, you know, work in politics his entire life. And I think he was a lawyer. And he was a mayor of San Francisco at one point, right? His family got him in. Um, he's he's. He is a very charismatic person, but he's not an actual intelligent person. Not only that, someone's going to have to beat Trump's policies. And no one on the Democrat side is even pretending to have good policy right now. That's one of the weirdest parts about this election. You know, everybody says Donald Trump's running a much better campaign this way or time around. Maybe. I don't think he changed much. I think the electorate changed heavily. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is that Trump's policies are fantastic. Agenda 47 is incredible. I don't know how any American who's honest with themselves can't read through that list and go, this affects my life. These are these are life changing. He's got stuff in there about tax cuts for people, for new families that want to have additional children, where he's he wants to incentivize mm. uh, the growth of the family in the United States of America. Entrepreneurship. He's got stuff on energy independence, uh, you know, border security. Everything's in there. He's, he's got really forward-thinking ideas as far as um, building additional cities in the United States to expand and, and sort of uh, depopulize some of our more really dense communities and, and sort of spread us out a little bit better so you you know have a little more room. It's an incredible it's an incredible platform. No one from the Democrat Party is even pretending to have a platform at this mm. point. And you can go out and try to look for one. You, to be fair, Nobody on the Republican ticket is doing it either. You can go on DeSantis's campaign. You can go on any of these other people, and they might like rip off versions of Trump's, but it's not comprehensive. Uh, it's not really well thought out, and none of them are, I don't think, very inspiring. So Gavin Newsom, the challenge that he has, he's going to be able to bamboozle a lot of America. Californians hate him already. Uh, I thought so, but yet he's still governor. Well, I mean, yeah, but they, <laughs> that know? is probably one of the most rigged states in the entire country. That guy country. is so good at what he does. They tried to recall him. They tried to recall him. He went up for re- recall. Everyone said, we hate this guy. I can't believe he was hanging out at the French Laundry maskless. And then right. they put him right back in. That guy is so slick. Well, Anyone else would have been gone. In California, they do things different. Yes. And so, look, I mean, I... I don't want to be the guy that goes, oh, elections are rigged and I discount everything. But I'm telling you right now, there you'll never know what the real numbers in California are. Hmm. It's 
it's too big, it's too convoluted, and it's too corrupt. I mean, it's it's at a level of corruption that is when you even peel back that layers a little bit and you talk to people inside that that uh, establishment machine out there, <laughs> and you just go, "There's no point in even trying to save this thing." It is it, it is the that's a mindset too, by the way. Mm. Like that's not just oh, we have a mis- we have software that rigs elections. We're talking about like it's kind of like when you look south of the border in Mexico, right? And uh, you know what makes Mexico so dangerous is that when you have an entire culture that has accepted corruption and and criminality as a totally normal part of life, what the challenge you have is that the people within the the you know I guess situ you know leadership positions are already arriving with compromised integrity. Mm. And that's the problem in Mexico. The problem in Mexico is like you could get murdered because someone leaked your information and that someone is like one of the senior people that is supposed to be the most trusted. And so that's kind of California's got the same problem, which is, yeah, we rig our elections. So what? You know, and and then you go, you know, you got a room of 20 people and nobody within that room thinks they go, well, we've been doing this way for 30 years. What's the problem? And that's why I've 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 instructed people on my show. I'm like, the real war you're trying to win is going to take a lot longer because it's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. We we have to get back to the point where people go, I don't cheat not because I'm afraid of getting caught or because there's a rule about it. I don't cheat because I don't cheat. I'm not that kind of human being. Mm-hmm. We don't have that yet, right? And so you have to. That's literally a culture war. That's where you have to try to bring people up to the the you know to buy into this idea of, of being an actually legitimately virtuous person. That's like, you know, I might be different than you or whatever, but I'm still not going to go. I'm not going to lie, cheat and steal to get ahead. When you have cultures that have accepted that you end up with, you know, the South American politics, which it's all the same. It's, it's just, you know, corrupt. But what if, what if both sides understand fully that the elections are rigged, that they are fraudulent and that, being able to leverage and use that is also part of the game. Yes. And if that is so, and the left uses that to their advantage, mm-hmm. the right also uses it too. It's yes. not like one side is one cheating and the other one doesn't cheat at all. Let's Correct. be real. They both cheat. Yes. One side is just better at cheating. Well, one side broke the agreement. Mm. Okay. So we'll use Arizona as an example. Mm. Arizona is a rigged state. And it was built by Republicans rigged, mm. okay? And it wasn't a problem when John McCain was winning re-election. Yeah. They built the apparatus. What they didn't realize was their leadership was all aging out, and their, uh, you know, the people on the opposite side of the aisle had greater ambitions than the people that were on the Republican side. Mm. I think Republicans got caught with their pants down, to be honest with you. I yeah. think after Obama got in, a new type of Democrat started rising up. I think that the establishment uniparty used to be the good old boys club on both sides. Yeah. And so Republicans weren't going to challenge Democrats to rigged election. You know, that that dialogue back and forth wasn't going to happen because they were both doing it, but they had agreed, okay, you guys are in Texas, we're in whatever. So you take <laughs> your state, we'll take our state, and we're good. G- gentlemen's rules to battle and war. Right. Because at the end of the day, dude, they all argue publicly and then they go get hammered drunk and have orgies in dc like yeah. that's been going on for 50 years or more yeah but i think what happened was when you when they jumped the shark when democrats decided to hell with this we're looking at socialism and cost, communism as legitimate means of governance in this country 
I think they didn't give the memo to the Republicans. I mm-hmm. think Republicans uh, really did kind of get caught flat-footed and went, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. This wasn't what we ever agreed on. We've always had our traditional rules of where we are located and how this is. And all of a sudden, Democrats were like, we want Texas. Right? They looked at, we want Texas. And mm-hmm. we're going to find a way to get Texas. We look, And they started looking at Arizona. We want Arizona. Republicans were like, what are you talking about? This is Arizona. This is a wild west, man. This is wide herb. You can't fucking have Arizona. And they were like, watch, we're going to take it. And that's where I think a lot of that that came down to. This is why Republicans have to understand it's you've got to almost what they're staring down the barrel of is not it's not just having Democrats in charge. It's a totally it's going to affect you in ways that are very tangible. Yeah. And and sometimes that's what it takes to get people to finally change to say, you know, I can't do this. This isn't even about politics. I'm literally going to lose my way of life. My kids aren't going to be in a safe place anymore. I'm running. You know, we don't they, when you start feeling that in your community. It's hard to justify whatever you know your political views are, and I think we've, we're starting to reach that point. I think people are really scared right now. I think in the 2020 election, I think Republicans leaning in to we're not going to do the mail-in ba- ballots and we're going to show up in person and we're going to create this red wave. I think that was a calculated mistake. I think because in people's hearts they're like, yes, we'll all go vote. Mm. Democrats had three months to vote. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it today. That's fine. I'll do it tomorrow. Okay, fine. You have three months to kick that can down the curb. Yep. 2020 comes around, and everyone's expected to show up on that day. And you're like, well, it's kind of hot outside. Right. I don't think I'm going to go today. I'm sure everyone else will go. My one vote doesn't really matter. And if enough people do it, because the margins of loss were so small, I think if people had just embraced it and said early on, mail-in ballots suck, but if you have even the slightest chance that you're going to change your mind and you don't feel like leaving the house that morning, right. just mail it in. I feel like if that push was there, the results could have been different. Maybe. The real challenge we had in 2020, Matt, like we'll use Georgia. Yeah. Because one of my former team members uh-huh. is, is the guy. He's got subpoena power in Georgia right now. Yeah. And he, he found their... He found what they did. He, yeah. He's got it, and it's all documented, and he open-sourced it. Uh, his his uh, handle on, on Twitter, X, is Mad Liberals. Mm. But Mad's got it all, and they built, they built. he spent three years unearthing how they did this. Oh, I've been following him. He's, okay. He does a really good job. He's incredible. He's a genius. Yeah. He's an actual genius, and he's got incredible people. But he found the votes that were essentially, he goes, these are just the counties I targeted because I didn't need to go beyond that, and here's the votes, and Trump won. Mm. And... What they, I mean, it's amazing what they were doing. Uh, they were, they waited until the election night and then they stopped counting and they said, how much are we down? And they said, okay, start printing. And, and the thing that's funny is, you know, the, the documentation he has shows when these ballots were printed. Some of them were printed right before the recount. So it was like three and a half weeks after the election. Yeah. And, and then they, and then because they were, Matt, they were paranoid. They said, we cannot mix these in with the real ballots. So they did Mad Liberals the uh, the the favor of writing recount ballot at the top of the recount ballots uh-huh. so that you knew the ones that were pres- you know printed off on December second or whatever the date was it says recount on there and he found the votes and he found exactly how they did it. Um, he also you know stuff that hasn't been put out publicly he found how they coordinated it between ten counties, hmm. uh, ten plus counties. So this was not a. a a, there's no way for it to have been an accident. It was coordination between 10 
that what they did was they took a bit one big county and then they took uh, I think nine additional very small counties and were able to make up the number and make it a close race. It was ridiculous. It was it was Trump won soundly in Georgia, uh, and they just in the challenge you have. The mail-in, you're right. There, there could have been maybe a different outcome. I think, I think we're really screwed, though. To be honest with you, once, once you give the opponent the ability to continue counting until they reach the number they need, you, it doesn't matter what you're going to do. But if you need to come up with votes, if you have to come up with ten or fifteen thousand votes, it's different than needing to come up with one hundred and fifty thousand votes. Absolutely, amen. You know, yeah. so if the disparity was so large, correct, they would have been like, all right, can't do this one. Maybe we need to move on to another state. Right. It's the best way to put up the resistance wall. Absolutely. If Trump had won by 100, 200, 300,000 votes in Georgia, they would not even attempted it because the project would have been too big of a project. Correct. With too much risk. Correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's actually the strategy for 24. Yeah. There's not even any hiding it. The strategy is we're going to make it to where you can't possibly print enough ballots to catch him. Yeah. And that's why... You know, I've been telling my audience the number is 100 million. You get Donnie J to 100 million. <laughs> That's a big number. It's a big ass number. Yeah. You get him to 100 million and you go home and it don't matter what happens on after election night. There is no coming back from it. Part of it, too, is, you know, you look where he's at right now, man. And he's pulling five, six, ten points ahead. <sighs> and, and he's never pulled ahead in any race he's running. Can I tell you how much I hate that? What, which part of it? That he's pulling ahead? Yes. Why is that? Because when they wrote, if you remember 2022, and I was watching, I think the Daily Wire was doing a live stream of okay. election night. And they were sitting there and all the hosts were sitting around and they were drinking scotch and smoking cigars. And oh they were boy. like, red tsunami, red tsunami is coming. Ah. We're going to sweep because they saw the poll numbers. They were so confident. Mm. And Republicans have a history of celebrating too early. Absolutely agreed. And because we see the numbers of, okay, Trump is up. If yes. the election was today, Trump would win. What it does is create apathy in the electorate. Yes. They say, we're going to win anyway. Do I have to go? Right. I feel like the message needs to be, no matter what, we're going to lose. You have to go because yes. your vote, abs- that one vote matters that much more. Totally. And but we're, I hate we're that a year we, out, though. We, we, we are a year out. But once you hear that enough times over and over and over again, People start feeling like, you know what? We got this in the bag. Yeah, I could see that. Here, here's what I'll tell you about. Uh, Republicans Here, are a bunch of nerds. They, they love to they celebrate are. early. Okay, but the, you're right. But here's here's where here's why it's I'll, I'll give you a, a thought to, to not necessarily a counterpoint, but a thought. Yeah. The electorate's changing. Yes. And the other thing is you haven't given Joe another year to fuck things up. Mm. So you're right, we're looking at today and you go, people get complacent. It's like, well, what about sixty days before the election when we're in World War Three? And people are having a hard time getting a hold of food. Like, it, who knows? But we got a whole other year of this asshole yeah. ruining things. But even with that being said, it's a double-edged sword, right? The one side is, you're right, apathy in, in, in everything that could be created in the, the existing electorate. But pulling ahead for an extended period of time has another effect. It removes stigma around supporting Trump hmm. for people who are new to the Republican Party, minorities, Hispanic voters, black voters who are never would vote Republican. You're looking and you're going, dude, this guy, I got to at least see what he's about. Like the, he couldn't be worse than Biden. Number one. Mm. Number two, I don't I'm not really the weird guy in my neighborhood now that's yeah. rocking with Trump if he's up 15. 
And so that's the double-edged sword is, hmm. is I think you're right. It could, it could create apathy within the existing electorate. But simultaneously, you could be galvanizing a whole new fan, you know, voter base. And that's what happened in 16 was the silent majority. Hmm. That was 16 was really a lot of people forget Trump didn't win because Republican voters showed up. Yeah. Trump won because he siphoned off a shitload of Democrats in states like Michigan and Pennsylvania that were so disenfranchised with the party. Like, what the hell do I have to lose? I'm going to throw, you know, give this guy a shot. And that was the the red wave was really a silent majority that said, I'm finally showing up for somebody. The amount of feedback we're getting right now from the inner city and from minority voters, people who are like, I didn't follow politics. I assumed the guy was racist. And now they're like, that was all bullshit. Yeah. I, I can't I can't live through another four years of this current guy. Um, that that voting block. What's interesting about that voting block, too, Matt, nobody polls them. Yeah. So you don't know how big that vo- voting block is. That's the thing that's interesting about this. So when I when I reference polls, I don't necessarily do it from an overconfident standpoint. I think it says a lot about those are the people that were willing to sit through a bullshit poll on the phone. That's not the people who are actually being completely destroyed right now. That because those people aren't cu- being phone called from D.C. to be on a on a polling right. And so we really don't know how big his actual support is right now. What we have. We have indications, though. In 16, you went to a Trump rally, you got your ass kicked. Yeah. You were going to have to deal with it. I dealt with it. A lot of people dealt with it. You were going to have people on the street trying to prevent you from entering, stuff thrown at you, rocks, all kinds of shit. 2020, irrelevant. COVID, nobody wants to go outside. Man, I've been going to Trump rallies the last three years. And I don't, they don't even, they don't even counter protest anymore, bro. (laughs) In downtown areas, you can't even get Antifa to show up anymore. I went to a rally one time in Arizona where we had the biggest, you know, one of the biggest Antifa groups in 2016 coming out trying to beat people up mm. or whatever, the counter protest. I don't know if it was Antifa, but it was a group like that. Go out there. I was at a rally in what, 21, 22, 22. Dude, they don't even show up anymore. We had one weird lady with her hair all crazy, got kicked out. <laughs> that was it. It was one lady. Yeah. And so there's signs of like, you're starting to chip away. I mean, I went to, uh, to, to what was it? The, the, the jail when Trump, was here in Atlanta. Yeah. Dude, even the counter protesters to Trump were super pleasant. Yeah. They weren't, it's not the same people. Well, They're, I also feel like that's an indicator of Georgia. People in Georgia are tend to be a little more conservative, a little more nicer. In that part of part. in that part of Atlanta? I think so. I feel it. Really. Even <laughs> the rowdiest, craziest people in Atlanta are relative to the crazies and the rowdy in New York or LA. They're much more polite. You think? I, I for sure, I think so. I don't know. I, I think that near that jail is probably not the best area. I yeah. think that's one of the worst jails, I think, in the entire state. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe you're right. But but even still, it wasn't, um, you know what it was? It wasn't radicalization. Yeah. It, I'm okay with opposing views and opposing parties. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of these people have been neutered mm. that were Sometimes you can tell how popular a candidate is not by how many people love him, but how less, how much less hate he's getting. Yeah, and I think Trump's just getting less hate, man. But when I think of 2020, and I think of the Biden campaign, and he had eight people in circles, (laughs) (laughs) he six feet social distancing was not enough. There was 20 feet in a hundred thousand square foot room with 15 people in there. 
in these little the, circles. The best was, was the Jeep dealership. Remember when they were all in individual cars and he was it's on a so stage? Weird. Like, like it was a fucking drive in movie. <laughs> but he was able to win. Right. Legitimately or illegitimately, regardless, he was able to win with nobody. Right. So how much weight do we really be giving to the size of the numbers and how positive the Trump rallies are? Well, uh, I don't think you could give much. Uh, I, like, I think and you're right. In a close race, mm. they're going to cheat. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that's the thing I try to get across to people. They're going to cheat. So yeah. just don't, do, anything different than that is silly. You're just you're extremely naive. They're going to cheat. You have to overcome the cheating. You have to overcome the percentages. So if they say you're up five, you better win by 12. Yeah. You better win by 13. You better. And the thing is, too, is like. You know, I think it's a little bit different right now simply because I think America collectively stared into the abyss, dude. Mm. And I think there's going to be I think there's going to be a, a large portion of people that always will support Trump. Like, I think his his bottom is 70 million, mm. 70 million are, per, are voting for Trump. Minimum. No matter what, no matter what from jail, it doesn't matter. it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're like 70 million people in this country have already drawn their line in the sand and said, fuck you. I'm, I'm dying on this hill. Yeah. Then you look and you go, well. If he's pulling at double what he was pulling at with black voters, how many more votes is that? If he's pulling 15 points higher right now with Hispanic voters than at any point in 2020, how many votes is that? Then the, the real important uh, electorate in this entire country that, that the, the both sides don't like to talk about is the independent voter. Yeah, He's crushing Joe Biden with independence. Joe needs to be plus 10 to beat Trump with independence, and Trump's up 15 mm. with independent voters. I think that I think the country has been properly scared shitless, to be honest with you. And Democrats are going to cheat, and the goal is to show up in numbers that are completely where where it's irrefutable, where you, there's no way to overcome it. I wrote about this, you know, on Twitter yesterday. It's like you're you're in a in a situation right now. It's a it's a power struggle, and when you're in a power struggle in in, in a post justice America, you and it's the guy who plays by the rules and and declares moral authority. Who is the weakest one? Democrats win because Democrats know what your weaknesses are because mm. they know what limit you won't you'll go won't go to. You will only go to here, but you all oh, well. It's, I get so much shit. Republican voters tell me, "Well, you you guys made a deep fake, and uh, <laughs> you made DeSantis look like he was dropping out." And it's like, well, yeah, if you're retarded and you didn't listen to it, and, yeah. and it's obviously funny. Yeah. Okay. But, well, we shouldn't do that. Why would, shouldn't we do that? You know, we do the same thing with the left. We do we we do deep fakes of Joe Biden saying crazy shit. Although that's not very hard to do yeah, anymore. Not but, difficult. <laughs> but Republicans have this internal constitution, which is beautiful, and I love it in peacetime. It's great. This is yeah. kind of you want to be next door to a Republican during peacetime. These motherfuckers don't know how to fight. Yeah, they don't know how to fight. Like no one wins a war honestly. Yeah. Wars are won by guys that are strategic and w literally are willing to do whatever it takes to win the war. And I think that's what American voters need to understand right now is you're in a war for your way of life. It's not just the White House. and It's not, oh, this sort of uh, tribalism of, of left versus right. You're quite literally sh having a showdown between capitalism and uh, a constitutional republic versus this weird Marxist movement. That wants to destroy everything beautiful and everything culturally yours. And uh, once you understand those stakes, I think you, you kind of have to accept that you're going to have to get very creative. You know, I don't give a fuck what we – the meme team – Brent, is this too far? No, do it more. Yeah. We've got, we've got RFK Jr. memes 
where it's his logo on his arm and he's injecting heroin. <laughs> Fuck him. I don't care. Like, oh, that's in bad taste. Is it? Being a heroin, being a freebasing heroin and crystal meth for 14 years. And I'm supposed to be like, well, yeah, you guys, but he figured it out. Now he's totally presidential. Give me a fucking break. Like, no. Like, there's nothing I'm not going to say to make sure you, everybody knows. Like, you can still vote for him, but you're going to know the truth of that man all the way through mm. before you get to vote. And I think that's what's different is I think historically Republicans don't like to throw those punches. They're very, you know, oh, that's in the past. Uh, that's not going to matter to voters. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Just bring it up. Talk yeah. to him about him driving his ex-wife to killing herself. Because he cheated on her with 37 other women and then he gloated about it until she hung herself. Like, that's important. That's It seems kind of like, dude, do you want that guy leading you? So I think they just got to have – I think a lot of Republican voters have to understand and accept you're going to have to fight a little different than you've ever fought before. Because for a while they thought, we don't like the way Trump talks because he is too aggressive and he calls people names. Right. But it's it's proven effective. He may be the best at coming up with nicknames for people because they stick. When he calls him Sleepy Joe, everyone calls him <laughs> Sleepy Joe, and it's a really good nickname it's a to great have. Nickname. When you call her Cricket Hillary, yep. it's a phenomenal name. Yeah, he's so good at this, and he has the has the ability to create these marketable names. And as Republicans, they're trying to lean into it. They're just not as funny as some of the guys on the left. No, the left is they're funnier. Well, the left, I think, had the culture for a long time, yeah. right? And this is part of like what I do on my show, you know, and that's what the meme team tries to do. Because look, like the, a lot of us grew up, you know, we're either Gen X. Mm. Um, I don't think we have any boomers on our team. I think it's all Gen X and millennials. Mm. And, you know, we grew up with, I think, a, what was a great American culture. Yeah. 80s sitcoms, mm. right? 80s sitcoms, 90s hip hop music. Like, this is a, that's a great fucking era, dude. Yeah. 80s and 90s. And you look, and it's nostalgia, and it's like the beginning of the internet, beginning of cell phones. Fashion is, like, ridiculous at that time. Everybody's partying like maniacs. I think it was a really neat time, and the culture was cool. The left captured the culture, but the left lost the culture because the left's not funny anymore. Because yeah. Marxism's not funny, dude. <laughs> They're not funny because they cancel each other. And, yeah. and then, like, once you're not able to laugh, you're not able to relate. And once you're not able to relate, you're no longer um, connected I think with reality of who what of what people are living through. And so you're right, Republicans lost the culture war and then lost the the White House and lost a lot of power for an extended period of time. So then, you know, by that logic, we have to take back the culture. And the way you take back the culture is you go, remember this and we play, you know, we've got hip hop videos. We did the uh, uh she ain't nothing but a, a vote rigger. And that thing got <laughs> millions of plays. That shit slaps too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we got Fatty Willis uh -huh. and it's a Kanye cut. And everyone's <laughs> like, dude, this thing is that went everywhere. Everybody had that thing. And you do stuff that is like you you go, Republicans did that? Yeah. Right? And then and then people are like, damn, that's funny. Or that's really good. And and I think that's how you start to bring the culture back is is also, you know, look, when you're fighting for against like we started this conversation with censorship. When you're fighting against that that beast, that's for everyone. Yeah. That's not just so Republicans can be funny again. That's so Democrats can come back out of their houses and start being interesting and entertaining. And because right now there's no art in this country. No, the, you know the, the music sucks right now. The movies suck for the most part. Horrible, horrible, horrible. Uh, the, there's no pride in what they're doing. There's no pride in the storytelling. It's it's derivative. It's it's 
it's not imaginative. Clicks and views economy. It's bad, dude. Yeah. It's very bad. And and uh, and it's weird because you know my wife and I like to sit, you know, at night we, we'll throw on like old sitcoms, just just random, dude. You throw on some of these old sitcoms and you go, "Fuck, what a great night!" Like, you know what show you <laughs> pulled up, dude? This is a dating probably both of us. I don't think either one of us would have been old enough to watch it when it first debuted. But just for fun, I was like, "Let's watch Taxi," right? Danny okay. DeVito. Yeah, yeah. It's like very old. But, dude, they were like plays. Like, the way that it was filmed is so immersive for an audience, not just at home, but the people who are watching it being taped, right? And it's brilliant. The dialogue's brilliant. The interactions are hilarious. And it's like American culture at yeah. its peak. And you look and you go, how the fuck did we go from this to this shit that's on TV right now where they're totally unmemorable? You can't remember the characters' names or who plays them because you have absolutely no connection to anything they're saying or doing. Um, and it's filmed in a way that is extremely uh, cheap. It looks cheap. It doesn't even look well done. So sometimes I like to go back and look at the culture. And we do this with our music and the memes, too. It's you go, dude, we had a great, a great country. And we're not that far off from it. We can still create. So, uh, you know, I think that's a big part of this. Part of what I do, man, is just trying to bring that culture back. Because I'm not really that Republican. I'm not that guy that's you know, buttoned up. I'm not, uh, I'm not pretending to be something I'm not. I'm very flawed. I've had a very colorful life, you know, a couple divorces, kids with a couple different women, finally found love, settled down with my wife nine years now. We just celebrated our second anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, it was yesterday. Thank you. So, you know, and I think what part of the reason that, you know, I I would try to make people, I want to make sure everybody understands that is because there are a lot of independent voters and Democrats that, that reject Republican, um, the Republican party, based on exactly what you just said. But when they look and they go, well, that guy, I can relate to him, and he mm. makes me laugh, and actually I kind of I read his book. I trust him. He actually helped me with, fix some things. Then they're like, I might need to give this a second look. What if they're not that anymore? What if the Republican Party is not Bush and Romney anymore? What if it's guys like Trump, who you know, has been completely a hero to the, you know, to the inner city for a long time, and, and, I, and they look like you know, a guy like me. It's like, that guy, well, he went through hell and back. And says a little rough wants. around the edges. More relatable. Open, well, and open about it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of it. It's like, look, you can still be a good person and have made mistakes and overcome your, you know, shortcomings or whatever, or talk a certain way. You know, I grew up in California. I'm from Northern California, the Bay Area. Like, mm. I'm going to talk the way I talk. I can't. You know, I, I was in Mar-a-Lago last week talking this way, and I'm like, this is it. Like, this is what you fucking get. <laughs> like, Yeah, I saw pictures of you in Mar-a-Lago with your beautiful wife. Thank you. Probably too hot for you, let's be real. Oh, of course. Uh, but... At Mar-a-Lago, I've never been. It's incredible. How awesome is it? So it was my third time. How, how awesome is it being at a fifteen million dollar estate? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like the yeah. guard. That's the guard gate, right? Yeah, like yeah. The front. No. How, uh, how is it like being in the slums, dude? Yeah, exactly. No, Matt. It's um. So it was my third time. Mm. First time I went was Trump's twenty twenty four announcement speech a year ago in November, right? In a couple, you know, November fifteenth or whatever it was. And I arrived, and it was really dark. So I didn't see any of the grounds when I arrived. Obviously, you get into the venue, and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it's like gold leaf walls and ceilings. The second time I went was in April after he was arrested uh, and in, indicted in uh, Miami. Mm. And they invited me out for a – because it's Trump. What do you do when you get arrested? You throw an after party, obviously, <laughs> right? So they're like, do you want to come out for this party? I'm like, yeah, obviously. Yeah, of so course. I, fl- I fly down to Miami. <laughs> You know, I, I get my suit jacket. I'm like, let's fucking roll, man. Or not Miami, rather, uh, West Palm. But mm-hmm. he flies up from Miami after being, you know, he's been, whatever, charged and everything. And he throws a party. And now that one, I got to actually see. 
I got to drive on Ocean Drive to his house. So Ocean Drive is, is West Palm Be- or uh, Palm Beach Island. You're driving south on it. And then Mar-a-Lago is on the, on the west side of that road. And I got to tell you, it changes, it changes your opinion of him instantly. Really? Instantly. Explain that. Okay, so Donald Trump's a billionaire. Oh, he's rich and uh, he lives the life. And, and you got this idea of it. But there's a disconnect because we're all normal people. Yeah. When you see where he lives, like this is my fucking life. Like I wake up, I eat breakfast right here. And then I go over here and I sit on my private beaches. You don't fully make the connection of his sacrifice until you see what he walks away from to go do this bullshit. Go sit in courtrooms all day long. When you see where he lives, Matt, it changes your opinion of him. If you have a good opinion, it becomes something totally different. Mm. Because you realize what I realized was how much better of a person Donald Trump is than I am. Mm. And I and I I'm I'm totally comfortable saying that because I I I like to think I'm a good guy. I like to do things. I think I'm, I try to be self sacrificing and and I don't know if I'm self sacrificing enough to be seventy eight seventy nine years old and work my whole life to have what he's got to have that life and then go. You know what? I think I'm going to go get hated for like. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm going to subject my, not just my children, but my grandchildren, all of my businesses, and then OPS, by the way, if I win, I get to go live in a fucking house that's way more run down than anything I own, which is, you know, the White House. It, it's not, I mean, it's historical, but it ain't, it ain't fucking Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. <laughs> it just changes your opinion, because I think a lot of people go, well, I've sacrificed for this movement. You go, what does that look like? And maybe it's time. Mm. But, dude, that guy sacrificed, and you see it. You see what his sacrifice looks like, and you're like, dude, you're so much a good person. Like, <laughs> I would have done out of it like, you know what? Fuck you guys. Good luck. Because the reality is he could call it a day, sail into the sunset, enjoy his life, start a new TV show, start a business, buy an island, buy a country. There are a million options that yes. are ahead of Donald Trump at this moment. 100%. And he's willing to give that all up to go into the trenches and have his name constantly drug through the mud. Yeah. Fighting off everyone, going after indictment, after indictment, after indictment, going from courthouse to courthouse to courthouse. Well, I'll give you another example. I'll give you another example, dude. So, so Mar-a-Lago changes you. I, I was trying to convince the campaign to let more normal people go there. I go, this would change people's opinion. Like, yeah. This is, it's, it's an instant change. Because you know how it is. Like, when you see how someone lives, you, you kind of get a better yeah. idea who they are, right? So if you've ever been to a Trump hotel or stayed there, you're like, yo, you can say what you want, but that dude knows how to run a business. He ru- I've stayed at a lot of Trump hotels. So he, you know what I'm talking about. He runs a very tight ship. And they're and incredible. They're incredible. so wonderfully nice. Yeah. And and you go, this is not like, and I've stayed at other nice hotels that are supposed to be of the same caliber, and they ain't like Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Or not Mar-a-Lago, but the Trump Towers or whatever you're going to. Trump Trump's establishments are run a certain kind of way. So when you see where he lives, it's kind of the same thing. You go, oh my God. God, dude, like this is where you have your breakfast and you and your wife hang out like your kid. Like this is crazy. It's so nice. The other thing that, that changes your opinion is when I got my photograph with President Trump, me and my wife. Mm. And you go and you're in this VIP line or whatever. And there's, you know, I think we there was like for Georgia, I think there was 40 people that had been selected for whatever reasons. Maybe they were donors or maybe they were, you know, politicians. I got the I was I was. Or One, a meme- memer. Yeah, maybe you're a memer. Right. You work for the <laughs> Dilly Show and you're a memer. No, but uh, I think I had, I think CJ Pearson was in front of me and he works with the Republican Party here in Georgia. And then like eight people behind us was Carrie Lake. She happened to be there. She's okay. like, Brandon. I'm like, hey, what's up? And so she was there to take her picture with Trump. So you got all these different kind of eclectic groups of people. But 
we're standing in line and you know, you're waiting for a while. He's on a plane flying down from Bedminster and, uh, and then he arrives and he first, first he's greeted by God knows how many people he's shaking hands, signing autographs, taking pictures, smiling. This is I'm in line. He's doing this, working the crowds. Then he gets in the car. <clears throat> he comes to the place. And then you realize how long that process is. Yeah. Cause there's, you know, we do our thing. We're moving up, shake hand, walk off, go find seats. He's still standing there. Mm. He's still standing there, shaking everybody's hands, smiling. All the pictures are money. All the, you know what I'm saying? It gives you a, a deeper understanding because he stood there and does this. He greets, you know, like I said, 40 of us or whatever it was after greeting the people at the, the, the place. And then he goes out and does almost a 90 minute speech. And he finishes that speech. Goes to a Waffle House, <laughs> spends another half an hour with people being mobbed, mm. gets back on his plane, flies to a different speech in a different part of Georgia and or South Carolina that night and gives another 90-minute speech. Does it all over again. And he's 78 years young. Yeah. And that's when you're like, okay, not only does he is he a, a much more... Um, you know, uh, the guy is self-sacrificing to a level where I'm like, yo, like I, I aspire to be this kind of a human where I'm like, I care about my country so much. This is what I'm going to do with my free time. But then just from sheer work ethic, you look and go, are you kidding me? Hmm. Like you look in and, and, and it's because it, it's a grind. It's a grind giving speeches and it's a grind meeting the public and shaking hands. And he handles it all with so much grace. But he's a machine, dude. Yeah. And that was the other part of it is like when you get to like that's, you know, these are the, these are my, as a, as a Trump fan who, who grew a business that was big enough to be able to have some of these unique experiences. These were the things that probably most impacted how I felt about him as a, as probably on a personal level. Cause, but I always loved him politically because of what he was doing for my family with his policies. But on a personal level, this shit took me to a whole different level. Because I have to witness what he goes through and what his day looks like and, and then also where he lives and what he's giving up. And when you combine all of it, that's when you you start to have a different appreciation for what, what he's trying to accomplish. At 78 years old, do you think you could potentially live a similar type of scheduled life? Maybe not the lifestyle. Obviously, it's a different level. Right, yes. But do you think you live with the same amount of passion that he lives with? God willing, man. I, I mean, that's, that's a full life. 78... I mean, my father is not 78. Right. He's retired. Right. He, he wants to enjoy the rest of his life. I think most people in their 70s Correct. are like, I'm done. What else is there to do? Well, and, and, and this is the secret sauce to Donald Trump. He that lives for the, this is what is his happiness, dude. Yeah. This is what's funny. You, they they determined the best way to uh, to stop Trump was to fight Donald Trump. <laughs> and it's like, that's... Nope. That's his special sauce, bro. The yeah. fighting is what fucking gets him up in the morning. Yeah. Like, the only thing you could have done, and they're so stupid, it's too late now. So, two years ago, if you had me on this broadcast, I wouldn't have said what I'm about to say to you, okay? okay. There was only one way to ever stop Trump, and no one ever figured it out. I fucking figured it out. There was, And even still, he probably would have beat my strategy. The only way to actually have stopped Donald Trump was to ignore him. Yes. You, had, you had to make him irrelevant. And the only way to make him irrelevant is you had to not let him bait you into attacking him. You had to make, not let him bait you into indicting him. You had to treat him like he's just a, a doddering old man that wants to have an, his ego trip as a president. It was the only way, dude. Yeah. And they couldn't help themselves because he pissed them off too much. And I, I spoke to a, a CNN producer, huh. and she said 
that we 100% believe that we are responsible for Trump winning 2016. Because if we did not constantly cover the rallies, people would not know if they existed. If we didn't constantly talk about him in all these different stories, his name brand and his name recognition, I mean, although famous, would not have been as synonymous with President It's true. It's because we had this crazy desire. Because every time we talk about Trump, our numbers go up. We make money. Our advertisers say we hate it. But yet, they're, they double Look down the on money. their advertising. Oh. And they started and they pushed this machine. They did. As much as they hate him, they created him. But then he burned. But then he burned the whole fucking thing down on his way out, <laughs> right? Because now their numbers are all at an all time low. Yep. And he's going on more and more emerging podcasts yeah. in in alt media, and they're over there left. They're just left sitting there going, "Oh fuck, we created him." And then he and then he spent four plus years telling everybody we're the enemy of the public. Once he got in, he was like, "Those are the enemy," yeah. and everyone went. Fuck them. I'm not watching them no more. I don't trust them. And then over and over and over, and he never relents. And now it's too late. Mm. They 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 kind of let that out. And, and they I think they had a second chance at this. The Mia Culpa could have been after 2020, dude. Yeah. The biggest, I think when we look back at this historically, the biggest mistake they're gonna have made after 2020 was the indictments. Yeah. All you had to do was leave him the fuck alone. He was still gonna run, but you had to leave him alone. Don't give him any airtime. Don't give him. You treat him like he's not even existing. Would you have beat him that way? I don't know. But it would have been a hell of a lot better than him getting indicted and going up eight points every time like clockwork. I, I remember the end of last year and he was doing his presidential announcement. Mm -hmm. And I think that may be the most low energy speech I've ever seen Trump do when he gave his actual announcement. Mm -hmm. This was before the announcements. It seemed like he, before the indictments, he seemed almost like it was getting a little old. Um, he wasn't as excited about it. Maybe even the speeches he had given prior to his official announcement were more animated, more excited. Maybe he deliberately wanted to give off a more calm demeanor, but it wasn't as Trump-like as right. the other ones. And then you've had the indictments and he's got this energy that he didn't have at the end of last year. Correct. They ignited him. And I think as the indictments go and as the people and as his polling numbers increase and he's seeing the demographic of people that didn't support him all of a sudden support him, it's exciting again. Yes. Because he was talking to the same audience last year. Right. The same 70 million people that supported him no matter what. Right. The main maintenance part is not fun. Any entrepreneur knows that. It's true. It's the build part. That gets you off your ass, gets you up in the it's morning. All the new people. Yes. Oh, I didn't support you. I love you now. Thank you so like that's a different audience than the people who've been patting you back for. And he understands culture. Yeah. And seeing the rappers come out mm -hmm. and support him, he probably has a list of them on their wall. Like, guess yeah. who got me today? Well, <laughs> and know? that I gotta tell you, the thing that he he uh so a couple things. I'll I'll, I'll one, I'll tell you about the speech. So Donald, it, it was shortly after that I had reached out to the campaign, mm -hmm. and, and people always wonder how this all took came about. How did you start? Get, I, I forced myself on it. Yeah, all they did, they fucked up. They emailed me one time with a phone number. Mm. Once you give me your phone number, I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh hi, that's how it started, bro. I was yeah. like, oh, I got a number, and I called, and I was like gregarious and funny. I was like, hey, how are you doing? And let if you ever need anything, this is what I do. Oh yeah, great, okay. And I started developing that, cultivating that relationship at the very entry level of the campaign. 
But in November of last year, he knew, and, and a lot of people aren't aware of this because um, it's probably not talked about very much. This will uh, it will go down as the longest presidential campaign in the history of politics because mm-hmm. he declared before anyone else ever had at the same point. It's two years. Um, he was pacing himself early. Yeah, I, I think that he was easing himself in, and I think there was he was smart too. I think he was playing a little possum, which was declare and ease myself into this race. Don't really need to light the world on fire right now. It's right for the holiday season. There's still a lot of fallout from the midterms. Was it successful? Was it not? Yes and no. Um, and I think there was a benefit to sort of like, I got to keep, he also didn't know what he was going to be facing. He had an idea of who he'd be facing, but he wanted to see it kind of come out. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was a, there was a method to his madness The I will tell you this early in the campaign, you know, the meme team is all gas, no break. Yeah. So early on the campaign, they've always loved our passion and our loyalty. But early on, the only one who actually was like the Dilly meme team is is that's what we should be doing was the lowest level staffers and Trump. <laughs> Everybody in between yeah. was like, they're too aggressive. Yeah. It's way too soon to be hitting like this. Oh, I don't need these attacks. What are you doing? The real buy-in was about April when mm. the numbers for DeSantis just were nosediving and the yeah. memes were in the millions. And Trump was posting our truth, you know, his on true social, our memes. Because he loves the memes. He loves yeah. that content, dude. Yeah. He loves the music. He loves, I mean, he loves the videos and the visuals. Um, and so we were, you know, and I didn't ask for approval, you know, and, and some of the people I talked to were like, I'm still trying to sell you guys to the campaign. And I'm yeah. like, oh, don't worry. We'll sell ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I got this. I got a number. Because I don't give a, th- yeah. like, you're not paying me. Yeah. So that means you don't get to control me, which means I'm going to do what I do. Yeah. And we're, we're literally all gas, no brakes. So as we keep hammering, hammering, what won it over was the polling. They looked and went, we're not supposed to be up 30 right now. Yeah. We're supposed to be up like 8 to 10. DeSantis was dead on arrival when he finally made his shitty announcement on Twitter. It was like, okay, you're already down 30 at that point or 28. And then you made your announcement, and it was horrendous. And then you face-planted all summer long out in Iowa yeah. like a dork. And everybody figured out you wore lifts and you pick your nose a lot. Now you're really fucked. And now you know we, we're not even to the first debate. And then in the backdrop of all of that— as we're destroying Trump's opponent, they're indicting him over and over and, and literally making him a modern, you know, a, a working man's hero. Yeah. Right. Relatable characters. So um, but, yeah, it, it was one of those things where it was a, a slow buy in at first. And then once it got going, uh, the results spe- you know, spoke for themselves and everybody goes, oh, you know, we see the memes and oh, the content and the messages I get, uh, you know, because it's funny. We've been doing this. This is the same thing we've always done. Yeah. The difference now is like it went mainstream. Memes went mainstream, and now you know I've got hit pieces coming out on me. That should be exciting, right? They're they want to figure out uh, how we do what we do, and you know, the New York Times is doing a piece on me right now. I pissed off the people from Showtime last week because I I do the same thing. They're all fucking stupid. They write me emails, and I'm going to screenshot your email. I'm going to crop out your information. And I'm going to put it on Twitter and yeah. mock you because it's funny, and they. They still write me the emails and try to get me to do their shows or do these these pieces. And I'm like, I'm not I'm gonna do the same thing. So this one time I finally pissed off the guy from the New York Times and now he's actually gonna do a full You think you'll get a full expose? I've I've been told that's exactly what he's doing. Because look, there was a piece in the New York Times uh the third week of October that that was the one I declined to do, and it was about how DeSantis took on the internet and got destroyed. Mm. And I was supposed to like tell him everything. And that was the one I mocked the shit out of him. And I told him, yeah, I'll do the interview the week after Trump's inaugurated. Yeah. He's like, oh, real fucking funny. 
his name's Ken Benzinger or whatever. And I continue to mock him. So I thought that was the end of it. So the article comes out. He doesn't make one mention of me or my team. Almost like, well, fine, then I'm going to leave you out of the article and give everybody else credit for what happened to DeSantis, which was fine. I don't care. But then I find out that he's going around and he's interviewing people from my past. Going, <laughs> people from 10 years ago are like, hey, dude, this guy from the New York Times is like yeah. hitting me up. My That's ex-wife awesome. my ex-wife is like, this asshole from the Times hit me uh-huh. up. I'm like, dude, my ex-wife is a monster Trump supporter, yeah. super Republican. <laughs> like, she's from Texas. I'm like, you're yeah. stupid. Like, it, it doesn't matter how much how she feels about me. Yeah. She's never talking to you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so then I found out, you know, like this guy is going and they're doing the hit piece. He's trying to in and, and he's trying to do a piece on me, and he probably will, and he'll he'll paint me as some conspiracy theorist or something crazy. That's so awesome. Isn't that great? <laughs> I mean, being canceled, having a hit piece done you, it's like the ultimate badge of honor it is i mean i wish someone i remember the bbc reached out one time and wanted to talk about something about a video i made and they wanted my proof of why i can say what i can say and i gave them some snarky remark and told them they should be able to do their own research otherwise like what do you have jobs for something like this right and i was like and i was sitting there thinking they're gonna do a hit piece they're gonna talk about it. they're gonna call me a yeah. conspiracy theorist and I was waiting for it, and they never yeah. did. And I'm like, oh, I'm so irrelevant in this world. Oh, why can they? It. Why can they not do this? They'll hit do piece? it eventually. You just keep, you just keep pissing them off. They're because, gonna do it. Your hit piece is coming because you ho- you let me on your show. You're fucked now, dude. I'm gonna frame it. <laughs> I'm gonna give it some lighting to focus it on it, and I'm gonna highlight it so that every single person that comes in, they're like, what is that? They're like, oh, that's my hit piece. Right. You know <laughs> you what know? I'm gonna do with mine, Matt? If they if they end up doing the article in the New York Times, I, I have my letter from Trump thanking me yeah. and my team for what we did during state of the union so it's a, it's a written you know it's a signed letter from trump i think i'm gonna frame them next to each other like i'll put my new york times hit piece and then i'll have my trump signed letter and i'll just put them right next to each other because i think it's you're, you're absolutely right dude i mean it's um when you don't rely on the media to build anything for you it's just funny because you're like everyone that you're gonna speak to already hates me and everyone that likes me already hates you so this is just I, I don't think the mainstream media, the legacy media, maybe the establishment media, I don't think they understand that their credibility right now is so low that if they go after someone, it just gives the person they go after ultimate street cred. Oh, yeah, totally. Because they're, and obviously we're seeing that with Trump. They keep on going after him, and the more they go after him, the more everyone's like, this is rigged, this is not fair, this doesn't make any sense, we're going to roll with Donnie. That's a great point. They're gonna do the same with you. They're yeah. gonna be like, "Look at Brendan Dilly. He's a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. He is so mean. Yes, he makes a lot of people angered. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. And we should cancel him because his humor is not to uh, our. I liking. have a theory on this, though. Yeah, I have a theory, dude. I think that the if you're a mainstream media guy, I think that part of the reason that they they go after certain people, some of it's strategic, and they're trying to. I think sometimes though. Dude, we're all creators out here, right? Someone has to write that story. And it's hard to write stories about people that don't elicit a response from you, mm. whether it's positive or negative. It's really hard to go, okay, I'm going to go talk about some some benign character that's completely milk toast in the middle and takes positions I don't like but really doesn't do it in a, in a very interesting way. The f- how do you attack that? Or how do you even get up in the morning to write that article? But when someone pokes you, Right. And they're antagonistic and they really elicit an emotion out of you, whether it's good or bad. It's provocative and it's interesting. And now your job's interesting again. And I think that's what kind of what happened also in 16 with Trump. It's still happening today. 
they can't get away from him because he's interesting and it's he's it makes a lot of jobs a lot funner to do and so a guy like me like well do we do a hit piece on this guy well he keeps telling us fuck you and he's mocking us in public and look at all these mistakes he's made and oh he's got you know his ex-wife or whatever and like there's all this you know what they think is but it's all completely normal shit for regular people but for them they're going to try to frame it as, as something interesting but i think I think that they enjoy having something that's not gray and lame. I think you give them too much credit. I think? I do. I think that they live in their bubble. If you are a New York Timeser, then you work with you work and live and drink and hang out with other journalists in New York City. Okay. And it's a very small area where the New York Times is, right on 8th Avenue. I used to, live, I used to work. No shit. Never one block from so there. So I, I have no experience Huge with this. Huge building. They're... They all hang out at the same bars. And they're out there, and they're like, hey, did you see this redneck from Georgia? They, they posted your email, and now they're embarrassed because they're the butt of the joke when they go to the bar. No shit. And they think, we need to humble him because I'm the New York Times, right? and this guy's nobody. I'm the New York Times. How dare this redneck from Georgia tell me? Right. What's going on? Especially because his email was him kissing my ass for like <laughs> begging to come to yeah. my house. And I think they are just so simple minded. You think it's that? They don't see the bigger picture. They know what's around them. And what they know is the bubble of New York City in that two block radius where they live. And most of them probably live in New Jersey or in Queens That's or Brooklyn. Point. They're taking the hour commute into um, New York on the west side, which is not the awesomest place to be. <laughs> <laughs> they're right next to the, um, the Port Authority, so they're next to all the buses. They may even take a bus to work. They're not overly happy with their lives. And after all of this, I got to be the butt of the joke from Brendan Dilly meme in Georgia. team right. in Georgia. Oh, we got memes ready to go on this fucking guy, <laughs> too, bro. Like I'm like, okay. I think it's all pride. You think it's all pride? I, I, I don't think they're complicated. They're complex or sophisticated enough to have even a deeper agenda. That's a good point. I think so. I think you just pissed him off and you embarrassed him in front of his buddies at the bar. The email is pretty fucking embarrassing because <laughs> he's begging me to come to yeah. my house. He wanted to watch me film my show. Yeah. And he's like, I've been watching the show. It's very interesting. You're really, a, you know, you've, you've made a huge impact in this Republican primary. You know, he's trying to do the thing where they butter you up. And I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah so they can dude. get you and then yeah, they and I'm like, Fuck publicly off, destroy you. Right. But, but maybe you're right. Maybe me publishing the email. Because, I mean, it did go, it went pretty viral. I mean, yeah. got like a thousand retweets or whatever. I think he was pissed. You very well could be right. People, I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> people just don't. Sounds like you know him better than I do. Like that, that <laughs> you were in that area. I've never been in that area, so. Yeah, I used to work on um, 8th Avenue between 36 and 37. I think that's maybe two blocks from New York Times. Gotcha. So I used to walk by it every day on my <laughs> plebe walk to the bus. <laughs> right? And you would see the people hanging out. And you see, I mean, it's a really cool looking building. And the people there, not one person around that building looks happy, looks yeah. content. They are miserable because right. New York City is a pretty miserable place to work. Right. And if you work in that area, it's just constant people. If you take the bus to work every day, you make a quarter million dollars a year and you take the bus to work right. an hour. Fuck. And then you have to get out of the bus, go through the smelly area and then you have to walk because there's no subway from where your bus stop is to where you work. So every right. day you got to walk 30 minutes and you want to feel important, but yet you feel really fucking poor. Dude, that's a really good point. You're miserable. That sounds miserable. It's horrible. 
And not only that, you're right. You have to wear your suit. You're like, I'm a big deal, but I literally have to do this bitch, like the fucking. The bitch walk every day. The bitch walk every day. And the women. You know what I used to call it, Matt? I used to tell you. So my wife, when we were first dating, had a normal corporate job, right? And I was already an entrepreneur and I wasn't very successful, but I was like staying afloat. And she used to get stuck in traffic in downtown Phoenix. And I used to call it the migration of sadness, bro. (laughs) Like people going to work every day, that fucking migration of sadness just. And that's what you're describing, New York. It's, it's like so sad. It's it's like a shitty train years. to a shitty bus to a shitty walk to a shitty job. And if you are a <laughs> woman, then you you have to wear your heels when you're at meetings and you're at work. Right. But you don't wear your heels in the city because they're gonna get dirty. It's really uncomfortable. Right. So you're walking around with extra pair of shoes, <laughs> and they're and they're supposed to be important. They have their suits on. They got their expensive right. things on, and they're walking through walking through a street with extra pair of shoes. Right. And this guy from middle of nowhere, Georgia is mocking you on the internet. Is mocking me on the internet. Right. Good point. And I think he just rubbed him the wrong Fuck, way. You just made me realize like <laughs> dude probably was reading like you don't understand. I tagged this fucking guy and so I sent him DMs <laughs> yeah. that are related to my like, here you go, bro. Let me make your job easier. But he's probably reading this shit sitting on the subway just like yes, he wanting miserable. to destroy me. And huh. when I when I think about that, I'm like, damn. I want to be mad at them. Right. At the same time, I kind of feel bad for them. Pity. Yes. Because they have nowhere out. Where are they going to go from there? Good point. How how do you live in Manhattan and transition to living in rural Georgia? That's a really tough transition to make. You're kind of stuck there in this echo chamber of your life. Even the people that want to leave are almost stuck there. Right. Their mortgages are so huge that they can't even leave. Where and else then, do you go? And then, and then you also really can't go anywhere else that you're going to get that kind of income. Exactly. Because no one else will pay you 300000 to write shitty It's articles. really hard to go backwards in income. Right. Because you've built up your expenses. Right. Your credit, your cars, your, your lifestyle. Exactly. The vacations. It's a good point. It, it is. It's a rat race that traps them. And then it's weird, too, because, like, it doesn't allow you ideologically to entertain other ideas. No. Cause, so you're stuck. Because in order... In order to sustain the life you have, you can't even allow those alternative ideas to take hold inside of you or you risk losing everything. Correct. Right? You go, hey, you know what? I Listen to this Trump guy, and he actually started making sense. What would you say? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. shit. Yeah. If your <laughs> reputation is built on being the anti-Trumper right, and you are in the bubble of a New York City or a San Francisco or one of these really liberal extremist areas, right. you can't go back. Even no. if you want to change your mind, you're stuck. Because it would shatter everything around you. It would change your credibility of how people perceive you. Right. And that's a really shitty thing to be a part of. To know that you're stuck and that you don't even believe it anymore. Right. But you're forced to play the role. How do you get them back? How do you save those well, people? Okay, so so it's we know it's something that it can it can be done. Yes. A, it always it's can possible. be done. So the only thing I can think of, and Donald Trump did it. With China, right? Like mm-hmm. one of the biggest things about le- about negotiating with China is is face is very important culturally. Mm-hmm. Yes, allowing to save face. Yes. So I can take my loss, but I have to take it a certain kind of way so that I don't lose all of my mm-hmm. right um, credibility or or whatever. And so I I honestly think Matt, when you asked me that question, that the first thing that comes to my mind is like I pl- I, I may have mocked him. But I was playful. I wasn't hateful. I was mm-hmm. playful about it, right? Like, even my reply to him, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you to the house. 
the week any day the week after Trump's next inauguration, he wrote me back and was like, ha ha, like you know, whatever. I think it's humor. I yeah. think I think it's we have to get the country back to the point that there's levity. And I think it's hard to have levity without humor. I think some of the things that we've lost culturally that, that did allow us to get past political differences, it's music, it's humor, mm. right? If you're in a room full of people, left and right, and you're all laughing at the same thing, you've just found commonality, or you're all rocking out to the same music. You just found commonality. There's a, it's like, like, okay, well, I, I think about problem solving different than you, but we both agree this is a great moment. I think that you have to culturally take back the country. And, and I think the path back for some of these people is to first, we have to destroy the, the misrepresentation of, of both Trump and MAGA redneck from Georgia. Well, you saw my pictures. I've been trying to post on. There's a reason for that. I wear a suit. It's a custom fucking suit. It's a very expensive suit, <laughs> right? When I go out, yeah. I go out a, a certain kind of way. I conduct myself a certain kind of way. And the reason is, because I want to destroy that perception of what it means. It doesn't mean that MAGA can't be a, a blue-collar worker wearing mm. a T-shirt and a red hat. But it also means it. it's not only that. And I think that's the same thing with Donald Trump. He's obviously not a racist. I think we've a lot of people have abandoned that that line of arguing by now. They've. I think it's still there sometimes. But really, it's hard to argue against his policies and what it's done. Uh, especially, the, the what is it, the... Uh, Fresh Start initiative that he did with the you know prison reform. A anytime I put up any sort of first clip step back, that's what or it was. video or anything about Trump, right? The first comment I always get is, "You know, Trump hates people like you." I get it all the time. Can I, I ask, mean, can I ask you a question though? Yeah. Like, so what, what? What platform? Like, just give me an example. Where Every platform. Be. It so, doesn't even matter except Twitter. But Twitter also only showed your content to people, people that kind of agree with you. Right. Yeah. But if I go on to Instagram or TikTok, which does, for their credit, they do a better job of showing your content to a more diverse audience. But, and here's the big challenge. This is the hardest part about having any kind of, deriving any kind of conclusion from the internet. Here's the challenge. You're in an, a, a world that is, that your, your opposition is commenting on your shit. Yes. There's entire bot farms in China. Yeah. That are this is all they're deployed to do, right? That's one of the most challenging things about the internet is am I interacting with people who have legitimate concerns about him being racist, or is it some cocksucker sitting in a you know what I mean? In in a in a fucking place out in, in Ukraine, because that's where they love to run the bot farms too. Same thing. Eastern Europe, tons of bot farms out there for you can be bought. So that's a real challenge, I think, is it's I think that you the only real way that we can get a better feel for what's going on with with Trump in in perception of him is on the street. That's why I brought it up like I feel safe wearing a MAGA hat now, mm. even in Atlanta. And I do my signed Trump hats. No issue. No one says shit to me. That feels like a more accurate representation of where people sit than the Internet, simply because we already know how they, they've been you know, psyoping the public mm. using perception, AI, I, you know, I, th that's the only thing I, I draw. I have a hard time drawing conclusions from anything internet based anymore. And I obviously I run a business on the internet and I still am cautious because I'm like, because I've, I've spoken to actually a couple of people recently and they said, I, I was a lifelong Democrat, mm -hmm. but seeing what's going on in the world over the last three years, 
I'm I'm realizing, and as I get older, and as I have kids, I'm realizing that I'm more conservative. But I will never vote for Trump, right? Because Trump doesn't respect women, right? And he's a racist, right? Those are the two narratives that for people who are having a hardest time getting over. These are the two narratives that he has to figure out how to win. I believe. Well, he's he is you know, to his credit, he's trying. Well, I mean, when you've doubled your support among the black community already, mm-hmm. you've added fifteen percent on your support with Hispanics. The demographic you just mentioned—that's really where it, it, it screwed him in twenty twenty. That it, and they weren't banking on it, and the the Democrats screwed this up royally with the crime. Mm. Suburban white women. Yeah. He's killing it. He's at 48. Dude, he couldn't break like 35 yeah. in 2020. But now they're like, no one's going to stop the criminality but Trump. Even hardcore Democrat women know this. They look and go, all of the other things I have that I might be concerned about, he's the only one that's actually going to make it where I can walk to work again safely. And I think that's part of this is I think we're going to get past a lot of the single voter issues. Mm. And I think we're going to get to a point and certainly another year of pain under Biden. By the time the election rolls around, I think the pain is going to be so immense. I don't necessarily know that that these people will be voting for Trump because they love him as much as they are. They can't deal with any more suffering under the Democrat Mm -hmm. Party. I think there's going to be I think this is going to be a much more simplified election from that perspective. And it's a very interesting election because it isn't um, there is no middle ground on it. It's it's either you're benefiting from the corruption from the Biden administration, you're making a lot of money and you're at the very top or you're really getting stomped and you're, you're experiencing things that you never thought you'd experience violence in in areas. You never thought there would be violence. Um, And I think that's what it's going to boil down to. And I think all, all president Trump has got to do, especially going into the, the closing month, excuse me, of the election. When he stays policy high ground, those last three, four months, Agenda 47 is exciting to anybody. Mm. All, all it's going to take is getting those people to go, you know what, set, set aside the personality of the man. Can you just look at this and just tell me which, which of these, do, do any of those look interesting to you? You're going to have a very hard time having people give you negative feedback on Agenda 47. It's ambitious. It's forward thinking. I would dare call it progressive as a, as a, as a thinker and as an mm. American. It's a way forward looking agenda. And I think that's the sales pitch eventually is get away from the per, the cult of personality, focus on what, and that's what we've been doing. You know, the meme team has been memeing agenda 47 videos for this very reason. It's like the guy's going to deliver this for you. And, and I think that's attractive. And I think also he's not on Twitter and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Mm. I think it's you, if you want to hear from him, you can be on true social, but if you don't want to hear from him, you really aren't going to hear from him. So I think that's actually not necessarily a bad thing. I think you can't blame the mean tweets anymore. Right. Yeah. I think, um, well, the one thing I'm concerned about is this push towards World War III. Yeah. And what we know is that historically, we don't change presence during active wartime. Right. It feels like we're leading up into an active war, specifically so that we don't change any leadership. You know what's funny is, Four years ago, I would have told you, we, I was like, yeah, it's a little out there for both of us. You want to know the moment that I realized COVID was like, oh, my God, they're doing this thing? Mm. It was when they canceled March Madness, bro. Yeah. Because as a businessman, I know how much that generates just total. 
And when they canceled March Madness, I went, oh, fuck, they're going full tilt. They're yeah. going to actually do this. They have no choice. I, I couldn't believe it. Like, that was the moment COVID, COVID didn't become real to me about people dying or sick. That wasn't the shit that got me. It was when they canceled March Madness, I went, they are not going to let him win. Yeah. And this is how they're going to do it. Because that was such a moment. Like, anytime I look at an opposing group that's willing to lop off its own arm to, like, get across the finish line ahead of you, you got to be take that group seriously. Yes. That, that was where I was like, it ain't even about money anymore. No. And I, I'm like, you just you just axed billions of dollars. That, that, that wasn't necessarily trickling down to the rest of us. That's like some huge fucking advertising money that some cocksucker in corporate makes an extra two or three million dollar bonus on. And and he they just went and you're not getting your and so all made sacrifices for their own greater good, bro. I, that yeah. was when I realized there's nothing they won't do to keep him out. So the World War Three thing, I think. Oh, you know, there's going to be an election. There's not going to be an election. Everything's on the table with these people. Yes, one hundred percent. We are in total agreement that everything is on the table. Um. I think in order to, to get into a World War III scenario where we actually are getting involved, I don't know if you can escalate it fast enough inside of 12 months mm. to get the United States. I think there's a, a lot of lead into that. I don't know that fiscally we're even in a position to mount what could look like a legitimate war I, effort. I think all it takes is one domestic terror attack and we're in full-blown war. That's a good point, too. That's, That's all it is. And it doesn't even matter who does it. It just needs to occur. It's probably true. Probably true. Um, you know, think of nine eleven. One day changes trajectory of the next twenty years. It's it's a great point. Um, I, I maybe I, I I'm looking at more from a from a, a actual. I don't know that they can mount World War Three from the United States perspective. I don't know that we we have the ability to get involved. Mm. Our troop numbers are horrendous right now. Recruiting is down way down. They're, oh, they're can having, you imagine what would happen if they started? Um, Forcing Gen Z drafting drafting Gen Z. Bro, you want to get you want to watch Trump win by 50. Start drafting. Start drafting. Man, I hope it doesn't come to that. Of course not. You know, no, I, no one wants to be at war. No, let's be real. Nobody and that, and that's the thing. That's what's really weird about this, too, is remember, like to get into a situation like that, dude. You still. OK, so if you're going to actually do a proper World War Three, not not the pseudo war shit we've been doing requires a declaration of war. I mean, we haven't declared war since World War II, but yet we're in constant war. Right, but we've always had these proxy bullshit wars. And so this is where, like, if he starts another bullshit war, like in Afghanistan, Hmm. it's not going to stop Trump or the election. If you're going to get the World War III where we have the full profound, oh, my God, you're going to have to get a Republican Congress to co-sign that shit. Not impossible. No, and and, and honestly, and and be, war is very profitable. I will for be an extreme amount of people. Full transparency. I don't know what percent needs to approve on that subject, mm. like to to get the the kit passed. I don't know what it looks like. I'm just throwing out there. I, I I what I'm saying is, I think you'd have to you have to start building that narrative way in advance to I get feel, to a, a conflict that big. I feel you, like this is the last two months have been that buildup. Really? I mean, it's. If open up your news right now, and the first 10 articles will be Israel, Hamas, Israel, Hamas, Israel, Hamas. There is no other topic that's been trending as long and as big as this. Since what, October 7th or 6th or 10th? It feels like a a year. It's been a month. 
but yet it's still every other topic after a week or two tr- fizzles and tr- right. and disappears. They try to force feed Ukraine on us, and even that down. that kind of just went away. It's gone. And even when it was popular, people weren't all that interested. The hang the Ukraine flag. Do you in think front of your the, the Israel thing is more popular than the Ukraine thing? I think it's. I don't think it is. I think it's the same level of we don't fucking care. I think of most Americans, they don't want to be involved in war at all. Right. Between the Russia-Ukraine conflict and Israel-Palestine conflict, there's no U.S. money actually involved in Israel and I mean in Russia and Ukraine. Right, like Russians don't have a huge interest in our economy directly. Well, other indirectly, than, other than trying to stop it, because if Trump gets back in, they're Correct. bankrupt. Yeah, they have, <laughs> indirectly sector. they are, but they're not yeah. actively involved in right. politics and in um, you know all these different facets yeah. of yeah. American life. Not like how integrated we are with Israel. Right, Israel is very deeply integrated into totally. American yes. life. And Pol- all politics aspects. too. Yes. Politics, business, corporation, sports, music, right. everything. Yes. So I think we are forced to care about that more. We have no choice because the people that are in charge of our society care about it more. Right. They have a more a vested interest, right. a bigger vested interest. I agree with that. Um, but again, we're we're trying to get into a, if we're getting to a World War Three scenario where they suspend elections. Um, I don't even know if they have to suspend elections. People just if we are active war. American people, even if there was an election, people don't elect a new person because you don't disrupt what's currently going on. Maybe. I don't know. I guess I, I guess we're making I think a lot historically of, that's well, the way it is. It is. But yeah. we're making a lot of assumptions because I don't think historically we've never had anybody like Joe. Correct. Like no, like to where your normal person looks and goes, that guy is not fucking present. So I think we do have some outliers that are there. We have some different. Definitely. I think we can use historical reference. But we also have a lot of abnormalities mm. that in this current climate that really kind of make it where you can't gauge it necessarily. Like, like I'm no fan of FDR, but from a competency standpoint versus Joe Biden, it's not close, yeah. right? And so you look at that and you go, okay, three terms and, you know, but it's not that. That guy's a, like, like everyone universally agrees he's a fucking idiot. Yeah. And, and not only that, he's he's probably lost it like dementia level he's on a whole nother level um they could they do it yeah i guess i guess my approach man and my attitude about it is i don't i don't deploy too much thought into it because it's one of those things that's so big as far as i can tell i either don't have the ability to affect any kind of change that would stop it or if i was going to it's just focused on the task at hand in in almost it's using the trick that we talked about with Trump is I'm not going to allocate energy to this bullshit, mm. meaning I'm not going to give your war effort raising because the more attention we give into it, the more you're actually playing right into what they want, which is discussing it, debating it. Mm. Oh, should we get involved? And the more I think you go, I don't fucking care. It's not America. The more I think it kind of takes away power from them because they go, we can't get enough people to buy into this hysteria. Mm. And, and maybe it, it results in some kind of a terror attack or not, but for me, I'm just I, I look at that and I go, okay, it's outside of what I'm able to to in, impact in in just fundamentally, philosophically. Even I fun I just focus on what I know where I can affect change continuously, and I keep mm-hmm. hammering that. And things that are outside of that, I don't really meander into because I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with it anyway? <laughs> right? It's like it's interesting, but it's also something where 
It's like one of those, I'll deal with it when I'll cross the bridge when it gets here. If that happens, then I'll deal with it until that, that's then. That's what they said about Trump in 2016. Right. <laughs> yeah, we'll deal yeah. with it when it gets we'll here. We'll deal with it when it gets here. Then, oh, shit, he's here. Damn, he's here. Yeah, Orange you know, man bad. You know, I, I guess you, you hope, you know, I live in a rural part of Georgia, you yeah. know, up north, and uh, you, know, you just look and you go, okay, I know my neighbors. I feel pretty confident in my community. I feel like we're not really a, a very interesting place to attack if you yeah. were going to target it. We'll, we'll fucking deal with the fallout, man. I don't know. You know, I don't know what that looks like. Let's yeah. just hope they don't do it. The, the other thing is, too, man, I think there's a certain level of madness. I think it goes beyond politics. When you when we start talking about like World War Three, you're talking about nuclear war. You're talking about a lot of fucking death, and you and you can't just get America to co-sign it. You got to get other major nations to go. Fuck it, let's lose a few hundred million people. Mm. And I I think that's a really hard buy-in. I, I, I think there's a lot of saber rattling, but I don't know that we. And the evidence doesn't suggest that there that is really something that a lot of nations are keen on doing. I don't think World War Three is a physical war. You think I don't. It's just I don't think disruption you'll see a lot of, of death. Uh, technologies and. Because we are in a digital age, not an analog age. Right. Death and killing of mass amounts of people is very analog. Yeah. It's agreed. very messy. Mm-hmm. It's very expensive. It's difficult to clean up. Like, it doesn't show well. Well, and it destroys a lot of, like, really the spoils of war get destroyed in that, the process of gaining them, right? Correct. It's, there's very little to gain from a, from a I'm playing God perspective right. yeah. when you kill, right? Before, back in the day, if you kill mass amounts of people, it gives you opportunity to take over more land. Yep. It made sense in that weird way. These days, it doesn't make sense. It's messier than it is clean. Agreed. So I don't think World War Three will be killing 10 million people. You think it's killing infrastructure? I think it is being able to control how people, controlling the data and how people move and transact. Who controls the monetary system. Hold on, who but, controls... but by that definition, dude, we could be very well in World War Three oh, already. I, I <laughs> so, definitely. Think so what you just said is we're in war already. Yes, and uh, and I I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, I agree I, with that. I think seeing all the cyber attacks, all the weird infrastructure issues we see all over the world. But w- wouldn't that make your terrorist uh, argument then analog though? Well, okay, if you are an influencer, yes, and you want to show the world how rich and awesome your life is, right. You got to go rent a Lamborghini and you got to show people. <laughs> got to rent the Lamborghini. Right? Yeah. You can't just say I have a Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah, you you have show to them. have proof of right. concept saying, look, my Lamborghini, so you think, I'm rich. you think you use that as essentially a jump off point. Correct. Yeah. You need the Maybe. pictures. I mean, if you're going to talk about potential reasons for war between Israel and Palestine, why film people and have people come in on paragliders? Right. It's for That part was 100% for show. The optics. Yeah. Of people, I've always felt that we were already in conflict after COVID. To be honest with you, I felt that COVID, the release of COVID, was an act of war, hmm. a global war, and I and that was my opinion of it back then. Was this is a man-made bioweapon released upon the planet, which a bioweapon is right there, neck and neck. You know, it's a mass casualty advice. Yeah. It's, it's a nuke for the planet. Just a little bit less messy. Right, right. But it, it felt like, in given the lack of conversation that even a lot of world leaders will even have about China and their responsibility with that makes me wonder if we aren't in some kind of a, almost a cold world world war, as you were just mentioning digitally. Yeah. Because you're, you're right. There's a, there's a lot of indications of it. Um, certainly with the censorship and a lot of the things that are going on, it feels like we're winning that though. If that's the case, then I feel that we are winning that because there are significant, I think progress People are becoming more bold again. They're getting, they're finding their voices again, and they've got some places that they can actually go to and express that. So, because I've been following a lot of the world leader elections in other countries, yeah, yeah, okay. And if you look at what happened to Trump, 
right? And how that transpired. Extremely similar stories happened in Brazil, yeah. huge country. Yep. Extremely similar thing happened in India, in South Africa, in Pakistan, yep. all over the world. People are experiencing the same exact story, which is the people, the president or the leader or the prime minister that the people choose that may have more conservative values that want to nationalism, not, nationalism, not national, that yeah. want to be against kind of a one world order type of people. Right. Those people are all being ousted, brought out, charged, becoming criminals, right. being forbidden or prevented from running again. Well, 24 is interesting for that reason is it's not just the United States presidential election. There are huge, massive elections around yes. the globe happening that are going to coincide with what we're doing. You're absolutely right. It's an interesting time. It is an interesting time. I would love for you to come back. Absolutely. And do it again. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah, I think too, this man. is really cool. I appreciate it. It was a wonderful conversation, dude. I appreciate being here with you, dude. Well, definitely, I'll be coming back, Matt. 100%. And we will leave um, the Dilly meme team and Brendan Dilly and everything in the description. Um, bro, I seriously, I really appreciate you came by. It's yeah. so close to here, relatively yeah. speaking. Yeah, it's easy. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. 100%, man. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank yep. you, everyone. All Thank right. you, everybody.